Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether we or not we like it, money matters. A few weeks ago, I shared a podcast on cryptocurrency scams, where we heard from a victim of one of these scams. But then many of you listeners have asked me that I follow up on legitimate ways to invest in cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin. I think blockchain technology specialist at Investec Private Bank, Chris Becker, is as legit as one can get. So I'm thrilled, Chris, to have you uh, on the show and um, give some perspective on cryptocurrencies. Thanks for having me on, Maya. I'm excited to talk to you and your listeners. Yeah, so maybe just uh, let's just start off with what you actually do at Investec, uh, just so listeners understand what a blockchain technology specialist does. <laughs> Okay, so obviously the role as a blockchain technology specialist is quite a new one because blockchains aren't that old. Um, you know, the first blockchain was the Bitcoin blockchain. It was, it was basically created 10 years ago. Uh, and there's there's a lot going on in the space. So really the role is around understanding blockchain technologies, the various applications, and also the new asset class that has been enabled and created by blockchain technologies. And these would be things that obviously... People are investing and speculating in at the moment, and there's a lot of hype around that. Um, my background is as an economist. So I worked as an economist for several, many years, a decade before that, before I sort of moved into the blockchain space back in 2017. And my interest in, in this technology and the asset class basically came from that, from that background. I've always been very interested in the history of money, what money is, how the credit system works, what central banks are, what they do, how banks create credit, how money is created, how it's measured, um, the impact that it has in the economy and all of these interesting things. And uh, I was blown away when I understood how, how Bitcoin and blockchain technologies work. I think it could introduce a fundamental change to the way the technique with which money is created on the internet and moved around the internet. So that's kind of the, the background at the moment been doing a lot of research and development and also involved in uh, product development for our clients, with the various client segments of Investec Specialist Bank in South Africa, but then also participating with, with industry, you know, other banks and also regulatory stakeholders around various projects, mm -hmm. projects like the South African Reserve Bank's Project Corker 1 and 2, um, and some digital identity initiatives leveraging blockchain technology. So it's quite a broad type of role. Uh, but very interesting and moving quite fast. Yeah, I was thinking when you said, you know, this is a really new role. They say that, you know, if you've got a child at school today, they're going to be doing a job that doesn't exist in 10 years' time. You know, or the, the, the job that they're going to do in 10 years' time doesn't currently exist. And I think that <laughs> blockchain technologies has to be one of those that uh, 10 years yeah, ago, it's like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, 10, 20 years ago, who would have thought they'd be something like a web developer, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and search engine optimization specialists and all these interesting yeah. things. And yeah. I think it's going to be same with, with cryptocurrencies yeah. and blockchains. Now, I must say, I'm going to put a, a, a little link um, on the podcast for people to go to your blog on, at, on Investic Focus, because you wrote it, actually a really great piece about the history of money. And I found that that so it really was interesting for me to see how one should view cryptocurrency within the history of money um, and that that money and, and yeah, the role of money in, in society and how it's used has always been evolving and changing. Mm. Um, and this is possibly mm. just another change to it. And I think that uh, mm. if you're interested listeners that I think just to give perspective, it was a really, really great article. 
But let's just start with perhaps for the newbies, people 101, what is Bitcoin and why people are investing in it in two minutes or less? (laughs) (laughs) Bitcoin is a, it's a money, it's a monetary technology, but it's also a monetary network. When you think about how one makes a payment today from one bank to another bank, the banks keep track inside their technology systems of a store of value. And the store of value in the South African context would be the RAND. The banks are licensed to keep track of who owns what RANDs. But in order to transfer the store of value from one bank to another bank, you need a type of intermediary, basically a payments company that sends a message between the different store of value ledgers in order to move the monetary unit. Um, the traditional payments landscape kind of fits together like that. So the store of value unit is separate from the payments network and technology. So in other words, when you make an EFT using a different payments network to move the value from bank ledgers compared to when you're using Visa or MasterCard, or even if you're making an international payment, you're mostly using SWIFT. You know, um, What Bitcoin is, its fundamental innovation is that it's a store of value unit. It's a currency that lives inside a monetary technology and network. So it's both of those combined. Um, but the, probably the biggest innovation around it is that it's not issued by an intermediary. In other words, it's not a company that, that offers this as a software. If you think of um, you know, any company like Google or Facebook or Instagram, whatever that might be, they've got technology systems that they offer to you and they have ways of paying for the usage of, you know, to monetize those technology systems. Um, Bitcoin is an open source technology that contains the store of value and a monetary tech uh, network in one. Um, and uh, so it's decentralized. It's not created by any entity or intermediary. It's just open source software on the internet. Um, and then lastly, I guess, uh, this is why institutional investors are getting very interested in this asset in the current macro environment of negative interest rates and huge amounts of money creation by central banks is that Bitcoin is the first digital asset ever invented that is scarce, completely scarce. No more than 21 million Bitcoins can ever be created. Uh, And if you think about digital assets that you own, um, which can be replicated an infinite number of times, the fact that Bitcoin can be scarce and is a money and a payments network in one is the innovation. That's what Bitcoin is Mm. at its core. And I think that's how, as people start to understand it, they're getting excited about the benefits that it could offer to society. So, I mean, you know, I think about that article you did on the story uh, on the history of money and of course the gold standard. So, you know, we had it where was once upon a time where money was actually based on gold and gold has a natural scarcity to it because you have to dig it from the ground and there will be, it will eventually be finished when we dig it all up. Um, and it's almost that's what Bitcoin has done. It's created that, but in a digital world. Um, and mm-hmm. of course, that's always been the criticism, isn't it, of moving away from the gold standard is that where we are now, well, we governments are in debt all over around the world and the way they're going to solve the problem they're going to pay their debts is just to print more money and and by printing more money you devalue the money so it is that that kind of cycle so i suppose that's it's almost to me is what's interesting is that bitcoins come along at a time that we've now moved into the biggest expansion i think of monetary policy in history i think even the first and second world wars we didn't even go into this this level of, of monetary expansion so that it's quite an interesting timiest thing maybe 
it's unprecedented what's going on in the world of money and, and, and banking from that perspective. Historically, like you say, it's, it's absolutely unprecedented. I mean, in, in 5,000 years of monetary history, there's never been uh, negative interest rates recorded ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why me as a macro guy and as an economist became excited about this technology and the other innovations around it too, mm. you know? Um, so, so it's a technological revolution, I think, for money, and it takes time to play out. I think, you know, when you study technological revolutions in other areas, things like electricity or um, the, the energy revolution around oil and the internal combustion engine, even the internet, it on average takes around 50 years for a, for a technological revolution to fully play out and become diffused in society. We're only 10 years into this one. And so I think this still has, has several decades to go. And so for people who are kind of thinking that it's a short-term fad, I think, uh, uh, you know, there will be some things that end up being worthless in the crypto asset landscape, um, but other things are going to be, mm. they're going to transform the way that mm. we do money and banking. I suppose the thing with Bitcoin, and this is where everyone's confused, is how do you mm. value it? You know, gold, yes. we have some idea, although to me, quite frankly, gold is still so sentiment driven, it's quite similar to Bitcoin mm. in that sense. But, you know, you have, um, I suppose, you, you, there's a sense that you, we don't know the price we're supposed to be paying for it. And we have these massive yes. rallies and collapses as a result of it. So how, yeah. as an individual investor, do you think, what do you think your approach should be uh, in this incredibly volatile thing? Because it may not be worth what it is currently, or maybe it will be, but only in 20 years time, or maybe it's undervalued. Honestly, there's not a single person I think who knows. Yeah, I mean... Look, I can't, I can't give advice to any investors on this. I can kind of just give my, my understanding <laughs> and how I think about the space. And I, I think about it like this. It's like you say, we, we haven't really in history seen a money being born out of nothing like this. You know, it's a new technique for money. Um, all the other forms of money that we're familiar with before they became money, something like gold or even silver, um, even the rand, um, which was linked to gold um, and silver because of the pound sterling, um, those commodities before they became currencies had some kind of industrial use case. Mm. So they had some kind of a market value pre-money that was established. Here you have something that's born and it has no other application or use other than being a store of value in a monetary unit. Mm. But here's the thing. It's a startup money. It's a startup monetary technology. And it would be similar to having a very early stage startup business, let's say, you know, Facebook or Google, and it's very early days when it was still getting kind of angel and venture capital funding way before it listed on the stock exchange, those equities would have been extremely value, uh, volatile too. Mm, mm. They would have been extremely volatile. So if you as a private equity investor in these early stage businesses were marking to market every split second, <laughs> it would, would be hair raising. <laughs> it would be... <laughs> Intense. Yeah. But that's what's happening with Bitcoin and many, most of the other crypto assets that are all trading on highly liquid global um, crypto asset exchanges. Mm. And so it's a startup monetary technology. And so it's volatile at this stage. Mm. Um, but when you start to dig into the different aspects that make this technology and this asset work, and once the, the, you kind of have your, uh, the penny drops, <laughs> um, the Bitcoin drops, you you suddenly start to realize that this is this is bigger than just something that should be traded over short term cycles. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 
So, so that's kind of my perspective on it. You're investing in a startup monetary technology. Um, obviously, at this stage, it's still speculation. What's very important for people is to understand what it is that they own if they get involved in this. So you need to do your own research. If you were doing your own research back in 2014, 15, 16, there actually wasn't that much research out there to draw on. Um, but what's great now is you have some really good thought leaders who are you know, very smart, much smarter than I am. You can explain how it works very simply. And also the infrastructure is now there and the businesses are there that you can trust in order to get access to this asset mm. um, where you are less, you know, less vulnerable to scams, which we've obviously also seen. Oh, we've seen a lot of those. Um, and so I wanted to just ask you, though, before maybe we go on to how one accesses it in a non-scam way, which is what everyone wants to know. Um, where do you think currently, I mean, given this, that it is a very new um, asset class in a sense, um, do you think that this, you know, where does it fit in one's overall financial strategy? I know you can't give, give your advice, but, you know, it just if you had to, to give sort of some perspective on it, you know, is this the, the kind of FOMO money? Like, I'm really worried I'm going to miss out. So let me at least have some of it. Mm. Or do you think it's now reached a point where it actually forms part of a diversified, diversified investment strategy? Yeah, look, so there's always that element of FOMO that comes in. Um, I'm not really seeing a lot of FOMO type of investment or money moving into the market. What I'm seeing at the moment is, is much larger institutional investors um, getting involved in the space and, and speaking publicly about the importance of having Bitcoin as part of a diversified portfolio. So, for example, the most recent investor that's come around to this view, who'd actually been uh, providing quite a bit of resistance to Bitcoin as an asset is Ray Dalio from Bridgewater Associates, which I believe is the biggest hedge fund in the world. Um, he, I think just in the last week has come out and said that he believes Bitcoin does need to form part of a diversified portfolio. Mm. Now, what that diversification, that diversified portfolio looks like and what the allocation towards it should be, obviously, is going to vary depending on your mandate and your risk appetite and a, and a whole bunch of things. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where, where what I'm seeing. So we're seeing very credible institutional investors understanding the asset, doing their homework and their research, and they're beginning to allocate towards this mm -hmm. asset. Um, I can't. Yeah. I can't give any more sort yeah. of advice. No, I think that that's it's, good. It's I mean, I think that more formalized. it does feel to me that, and and one of the things I'm picking up is is those people, those investors who are starting to see it not as a get rich quick scheme, which I think mm. is of course how how the the scams are working. So a lot of people are getting caught up in the scams, but those who actually fundamentally understand why they're doing it seem to me just to kind of be doing that sort of rand cost averaging or Bitcoin cost averaging mm. uh, approach. And mm. you know, they just set up a debit order every month. They buy some, maybe sometimes it's peaking, sometimes it's, yep. it's crashing, because really you don't know. Um, but then the markets have been on a yep. similar rock and roll road. Um, yep. and, and just slowly building up some exposure to Bitcoin um, over time. That seems to be a, a common approach for the, ind for the in well, individual. And I, that sounds to me like a really good approach. Uh, I think that's kind of all I'll say is I think a, a sort of slow and steady uh building up a position mm. to this, um, not putting more than you can afford to lose is important mm. uh, into the asset. And then, and then when, once you have some skin in the game, um, you also pay more attention to the technology and how it works and you mm. get more interested. And mm. you start to realize that there are far greater opportunities than just owning Bitcoin. But what I get extremely excited about is the possibilities of building new businesses, leveraging this technology. Mm. Um, and uh, 
you know, if you think about a somebody who's a software developer, but right now can't get a job, let's say at a bank or another type of financial institution, despite the skills that you have and a product idea that you might have, you need to get a job at a financial institution in order to build a product that might benefit your community, no matter where you might live. Um, you could live in a rural part of South Africa where a financial institution feels that, you know, there's not too much benefit to them rolling out a product because it's expensive to roll out a product. But that person now can uh, basically build a, a, a product or a service on top of the Bitcoin ledger, which offers value to his local community. And so what that means is open innovation is coming to the world of money and banking. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the rate at which the internet was able to innovate and offer value-added services to people, um, I mean, it's, it's exponential. I think that is now coming to the world of, of money and banking mm. and financial services. Mm. And I see actually most of those types of innovations and applications being built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. I was going to say to you actually about Ethereum, because, you know, we, we, we talk about Bitcoin and everybody focuses on Bitcoin. Um, but there are actually other, you know, other cryptocurrencies, so to speak. I mean, um, Ethereum is not so much, I don't think you find it as a currency, it's more a the technology. But maybe explain Ethereum yeah. and yeah. Ether and how that works, just to... Confuse our listeners more. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to make another point on the macro environment, which I think will be great perspective mm-hmm. to people. But before, uh, let, me, let me speak to Ethereum quickly. So one can think of Bitcoin as, a, as this digital technology that aims to create a scarce asset that mimics gold. But it, so it becomes a digital gold. And if you think about, you know, applications that we or hardware or devices that we'd use. Um, if you think about um, a calculator, a normal old school traditional calculator, that's got very basic code that allows you to do some sums on it. Um, that's kind of what Bitcoin's like as a technology. Ethereum is more like a smartphone on top of which you can build applications. Ethereum's like an operating system for decentralized applications. And Ether is the currency for that platform. So if you want to if you want to execute transactions inside the Ethereum economy, so you want to use an application built by someone, you need to pay transaction fees in Ether in order to execute you know, a function, mm. some kind of software to make that software work. Mm. And so, so that's kind of the difference between, say, something like Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's this kind of dumb uh, calculator just designed to be scarce asset, digital gold, whereas Ethereum is way more sophisticated in terms of what it can do. And so we're seeing an explosion of innovation happening on Ethereum. Mm. That's very exciting. So that's kind of at a very high level. That's the difference between the two. And and so what does an investor do, right? I'm talking now, you know, a novice investor, somebody like myself starting to get into it. You know, we know about Bitcoin. It's the one everybody knows about. Do you just buy Bitcoin? Because you can buy Ethereum. You can go onto the Luna platform, altcoins. They're available as well to, to, to purchase. Um, how, where do, how do you think people should look at it from an investment perspective? Or do you think just stick to Bitcoin for now? Like, what, what would you kind of, what is your approach? Look, I think what's important, and again, I can't, I can't really give advice. I can't give advice on this. Um, um, but I think what's important is that that people understand that this is a generational change of monetary technology systems that's taking place here. It's not something that needs to be FOMO'd into. Mm, mm. 
if you miss a big move here, you're not, you're not really going to miss out because there's going to be so many opportunities that present over the next few decades around this technology. Mm. It doesn't only come down to owning Bitcoin or owning Ether or owning mm. some cryptos. Mm. So I think that's the important point that I want to make. There, there are, you know, depending on your skill set and depending on what you're interested in, there's a variety of businesses that can be built that leverage this. Mm. You can benefit on that side, outside of having to actually own these assets, mm. you know. So that's what I'd say. But once you understand the technology and you're at the point where you want to build a business leveraging these technologies, you're also going to want to own these assets. Mm. The, mm. the two kind of go together. And that's mm. why it has this viral type of nature mm. and network effect around this thing that it's creating because people get really excited about the possibilities. So that's all I want to say before I get myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem for working with a bank. There's so many things you can't say. But, um, you know, I want to ask you quickly, one of the questions, and I, I mean, do you think that, that the smart contracts that, that can be created using, um, you know, that using the, 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 the sort of blockchain technology, when will it be applied to title deeds of homes? When will I not have to pay an attorney 80 grand to go and change my name at the deeds office because <laughs> that's the business I want. <laughs> so, so it's, it's going to be a big use case for this technology. I think in the future, the, I obviously can't tell you when, but this is why I say it's going to be several decades. I think before that actually is common and sort of standard practice, because there's so much that needs to happen between reconciliating real-world traditional assets to these digital assets. Mm. That's going to take time. So at the moment, most of the innovation around this technology we're seeing um, is all around digital native assets. And so something like a digital artwork, the JPEG that sold a couple of weeks ago for $69 million. I don't know if you followed that. No, I didn't. But there's an artist, a digital artist by the name of Beeple. Is this kind of, is um, his what do you call it? It's his art name. Um, and over the last 10 years, he created a digital artwork every single day. I think it was 5,000 artworks over the last 10 years. And those all got combined into a JPEG file and it was auctioned at a Christie's online auction. So Christie's, the auction house, auctioned this JPEG file using the Ethereum blockchain, received payments in Ether, and this file sold for $69 million. So somebody out there paid $69 million in equivalent Ether the cryptocurrency to buy this JPEG file and they now hold the title to the artwork and they can now prove that they are the rightful owners of this digital artwork. And that's messed with people's heads because they're like saying, I mean, how can a JPEG file <laughs> sell, sell for that kind of money? Um, but it's fascinating around what's going on. It's being applied now to, um, you know, content rights and um, title deed to artwork um, all, sorts, all sorts of other digital assets. Um, and so the innovations are happening there around digital native assets. And I, what I'm saying is it's going to take some time before all of the infrastructure and the trusted intermediaries are there to reconcile and audit and make sure that the real world asset that you say you own, that home, that title deed, mm. is correctly represented on the blockchain. Because mm. you don't want to end up with a scenario where, you know, a title deed is now represented on two different blockchains or twice yeah. on the same blockchain. And then yeah. who's going to intermediate and resolve yeah. conflict and disputes. Yeah. So there's a lot that still needs to happen. And this is why, this is why I say 
if you missed the boom, boom in the price of Bitcoin, you haven't missed the boat yet because there's still so much, so much that needs to happen. So much. It almost feel, sounds to me like, you know, when Twitter was created, if you look at what um, Jack Dorsey f- first saw it's, it, it would be used for, it's been used completely differently. And it's almost like that, isn't mm. it? We just got this amazing technology totally. that has endless um, possibilities and, and we're just at the beginning of it. Um, yeah. And and now you know we we speak you know obviously we, there's the cryptocurrency bitcoins and all of those sort of things but we're now also moving into the whole world of the ecosystem of crypto which is mm. now we saw that absolutely I mean ridiculous listing of Coinbase was remarkable which is a cryptocurrency platform so even the things associated yeah. with it now I must tell you I am far from an expert so I did a quick Google search on like other ways. Other stocks that you can buy listed. So, so in other words, these are listed entities on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, or not, but not in this case, but on NASDAQ or on, on, on an actual um, stock exchange platform that gives you access to, to these, um, these markets. And I came across Riot Blockchain, Hive Blockchain Technology, Marathon Digital Holdings. How does one navigate this? I mean, does one invest in something like Coinbase or do you think you should just be sticking your money into the Bitcoins, the actual currencies? Like, how does one navigate this space? And I don't, I don't even know how so, you get to value. So I think what, what people need to understand is you have the technology uh, like the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain, which is a technology that has its own native asset. Um, if that network um, gains in value, which typically comes from usage, you know, the more users, the more people on the platform, the more applications built on there, the more the native asset of that network also rises in value. So there's a law around the value of networks known as Metcalfe's law. And some smart quants have have kind of run the numbers and looked at the number of users to the Bitcoin network and how that's grown over time and found that Metcalfe's law has been holding up with the price appreciation for something like Bitcoin. Um, and what Metcalfe's law basically says is the value of a net, any network is the square of the number of users on the platform. Okay, so, so there's a value to these networks. And if you think about network effects and, and technologies is that they typically don't mean revert. It's really hard for Facebook's value just to go to north, you know. Mm. Um, for the value to mean revert to nothing because there's, there's such a big network of users on it. So people need to have a view on the network that they want to be a part of and possibly invest in. And then their businesses that build applications leveraging these networks. And that's what something like Coinbase does. And that's what something like Riot Blockchain does. Um, they're basically a Bitcoin mining business. And so, so you have different ways to get exposure to a network over and above just owning a piece of the network. Mm. Um, and so it gets quite sophisticated. You need to do your homework. You need to do your research to sort of understand the different ways of how you would want to play and what your skills are and what you're comfortable with in order to get involved. Mm. Um, but it, I guess it would be kind of similar like, I think blockchain technologies are today where the internet was in the, in the early 1990s. It's very early days. Mm. There were several businesses that were built in the early 1990s that didn't stand the test of time, but the internet remains. Mm, mm. And so, so you need to be able to make that distinction and really have a good understanding of companies before you start investing mm. in them. 
Um, but the internet's technologies, the internet of money, I think, will mm. remain. But there again, there's different technologies too. And so you need to know what you would mm. want to be getting involved mm. in. You know? I think that is such um, a good analogy that because, I mean, I was actually working um, in, in, the, in stockbroking at the end of the 90s. And my goodness me, everything was listening. Um, anything that had the word internet re- vaguely related. I mean, webcam, I was at Africam or something. It was a, it was a webcam that, that looked over a, a, a waterhole in the, in the Kruger or something. That was listed. Everything was listed. And a lot of it was a load of, you know what. And, yeah, um, yeah. and, and I think you're exactly that. You know, you look and you've got to say, well, yeah. hold on a second. You've got to do your homework. You can't just not, everything rises. What do you think goes up the rising tide? But then when the tide yes. goes down, what's left? Yeah, very, very good. And advice. another important thing, I think it's a great point, Brian. I think another important thing for people to understand is, so you have a business like Coinbase that's listing on a traditional equity exchange, the NASDAQ. And you cannot own that business through your traditional trusted types of intermediaries. And you'll have a stock certificate and custodians and, you know, all this infrastructure around it. Um, But the other interesting innovation is, you know, you'll often hear the number that there are thousands of cryptocurrencies. Mm. What's important to know is it's not actually thousands of cryptocurrencies that are are in existence. Ethereum as a platform, to mention one, makes it easy for a business like a digital business, a crypto native business to issue a token, the holders of which have some kind of ownership in the protocol, in the business. So a lot of these tokens or what people would refer to as cryptocurrencies aren't cryptocurrencies at all. They're actually some kind of a project that's trying to bootstrap network effects and give um give people who participate in the network some kind of ownership mm. rights and the ability to govern the network back. Mm. So, so, so that's, I think, an important nuance to understand. And, and it's in a lot of those types of tokens where I also see scams. And I see, mm. you know, these people sitting at home thinking, oh, this would be a great idea. Let me slap on a bunch of jargon because there's a lot of hype around this word, this buzzword, and I stick it on there. And, um, you know, the buzzword in the, in, the, in the Ethereum space, especially right now, is decentralized finance or DeFi. And mm. it's grown exponentially. Like it's, uh, the value of assets in the DeFi ecosystem is up 300% from January. And it's grown several thousand, I think 6,000% year on year. Um, and so what we're seeing now is guys just spinning up projects, launching a token, putting buzzwords on it. And basically suckering people who mm. aren't quite familiar with the space and don't understand what the red flags are, mm. you know, taking their money and then disappearing with it. Oh, I've seen so many of those. So, I mean, they, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have, I think I remember the name of the one in South Africa, but somebody did start one at P, some of the, sort of a P or something. Anyway, but they are. And it's like, oh, it's a token and we'll create it. And yeah. then this and the other. And, and people, again, are just fall for it. And I think you, and again, that mm. I think what concerns me is that people hear crypto, they think, I'll double my money and they don't think further. And, you know, you've got to, know, you've got to enter into this with understanding. And I think probably for me, mm. just entry point, you know, buy some Bitcoin mm. if that's really what you want to do. It's probably the simplest, like you said, the basic calculator. It's mm. probably the simplest thing to understand. You can, you can pick it up on local yeah. platforms like Luno or Altcoin or whatever. Um, I, I know at some point you can go and create your own private wallets. But just before we end off, I wanted to ask you, what is actually Investec doing in this space? Because that's what you are going to be involved I wanna, in. I'm going I'm to I'm gonna answer that. But before I, before <laughs> I answer that, I want to say people can keep an eye on what some of the big names globally are doing. So businesses like Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Venmo have recently enabled uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, I mean, who else? There's several. 
you know, Tesla's mm. accepting payments mm. for Tesla mm. vehicles in Bitcoin. MicroStrategy's got Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Pay attention to what those businesses consider to be reliable assets. Mm. I'd say for somebody new to this, look at what those smart people are doing. Mm. I'm not saying they're always going to be right, but um, if you're trying to decide between something that seems too good to be true and just boring old Bitcoin, <laughs> try and get a sense of what the big names are doing because it can also tell you about the value of that network and how it might grow over time. I mean, Visa is now turning on Bitcoin at all its merchants worldwide. It tells you something about the scale of how that network could grow for Bitcoin acceptance. So I just wanted to make that point. That's um, a brilliant point, then, yeah. So I think another aspect to understanding who to trust in, in this asset class and, um, you know, if, if somebody wants to buy Bitcoin, let's say, and you need to decide which intermediary to trust. So if you need to go to an exchange in order to transfer RANDs to be able to buy some Bitcoins, it's important to see, you can take a look at who do those businesses have partnerships with in, in local industry you know, are they credible businesses that they partner with and building products uh, alongside in order to offer benefits to customers? Um, are there maybe some repeatable international companies? But I think another important thing to focus on is to say, who are the investors in the business? Um, and, and I think that quickly starts to separate the wheat from the chaff uh, in terms of understanding who you're dealing with. And I think also having deep pockets because this technology needs a lot of, of you know, you, you do need spending a lot of money on your, your protection and all of those things and your double verifications and all that stuff. So I think for me, many of it is, a lot of it is about, do they have the, have the, the funds to keep that business sure, going? Yeah. Sure, so you don't want to sure. discover funds, when those all, yeah. And, you know, ultimately when you think about uh, a regulatory environment, um, you think about trust, can I trust other regulators trustworthy and credible? And, and so as a result of that, can I trust the businesses that they regulate? I mean, if I put my money in somewhere, that's kind of all that you're looking for when you're looking for an FSP license, you know, are they regulated? Can I, can I trust these guys? Mm. Um, and so in an area where there isn't that much regulation yet, um, you need to understand who are the jockeys and can I trust them? Do I do they have a track record? Mm. How do they make their money? Um, you know, you start need to start answering that question. Mm. And, th and then I think you can quickly start to see who's who mm. you know, in, mm. in the zoo. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so at Investec, we've spent the last three, almost four years now researching blockchain technologies, um, understanding our client needs, understanding industry needs, and, and what we basically discovered was connecting to a new monetary technology like blockchain, whether it be a stable coin or a CBDC, central bank digital currency. So if we had to get a, a, a czar stable coin, let's say, issued on a blockchain technology, um, or if anybody wants to connect to the Bitcoin blockchain in order to you know, access and transfer value in Bitcoin, what is standard across all of these, these technologies is the need to be able to connect to the technology. And the way that you connect to that is through a wallet. And so what we've identified as an important requirement in order to be an innovator in the space and to be able to move forward and to offer services to no matter what type of client segment 
you need to have a, a safe wallet. So we've moved forward with building digital asset custody. It's, it's like, it's asset agnostic, um, but we're currently testing that uh, with the regulators. The Intergovernmental FinTech Working Group was established in 2016, um, where they've created an environment known as the regulatory sandbox that gives businesses like us and other startup businesses um, where they want to launch products or services where they're regulatory gray areas, basically the ability to launch these products um, and to work with them in order to take it to market, to understand the cost benefits, to understand the risks, you know, all these sorts of things. So that's what we've done. We're very excited about that. I think it opens up a, a host of opportunities for us. Uh, and yeah. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we can remove all ex- not ex- okay, exchange control will never go, but I'm talking about um, cross, uh, cross currency. What's, I mean, the ridiculous amount of Forex fees that I have to pay every time I want to make a payment overseas. The friction there, it's just crazy. So <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the day that I can just do a lot of that without having to pay. Um, but maybe that's not so good for a bank. <laughs> Hey, look, uh, no, it doesn't matter who likes it or not. I think that's where the world is going. It's moving mm. towards less friction in, in moving value around yeah, the world. And, yeah. and that's obviously just, I think it'll be a net benefit yeah. to society. Yeah. So it's exciting. Exciting, great. Well, Chris, I want to thank you because you've been absolutely fantastic. And I think you've really explained it in a way that is, is really accessible. Um, and if any of my listeners want to follow you, um, it, you're on, on Twitter on Chris L. Becker. But I'm also going to post up the link to your articles, which I found really, really useful as well. So thank you for coming on. Thanks. It was great talking to you, Maya. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.